You are listening to episode 28 of the Addiction Support Podcast. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. Hello, welcome. My name is Melissa Sue Tucker, and I'm the host of Addiction Support Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And if you've been here before, welcome back. Um, I'm really excited. I, You guys, you know, I always say I'm always excited, but I think that's one of the keys to living life as fully as you possibly can and connecting with other people is by being happy and being excited. So I am. And part of the reason why I'm so excited this week is because I'm going to be taking a deep dive into codependency. However, not defining what it is, we're going to be listening to solutions and quick fixes and things that you can do right now to pull out of it. However, before we go there, I'm going to read you 15 questions so that you can quickly determine if you want to listen to this episode or not. If you answer yes to five or more of these questions, I would say you probably want to listen to this episode a couple times, maybe three times. It's really good. Um, so here we go. I'm just going to jump right in. Question number one, do you carry a lot of resentment, feeling angry with others who don't meet your needs? Do you expect people to read your mind and know what you need or want? Do you often feel like a martyr who lives your life for everyone else? Do you have many one-sided relationships where people take more than they give? Does sex feel like one more task on an already long to-do list? Do you break too many promises to yourself? Do you have trouble getting others to share in the workload at home? Do you give to others in an effort to feel needed, important, or worthy? Is it rare for you to relax or enjoy things that are fun? When you're overwhelmed, tired, or stressed, do you rarely think to ask for help? Do you secretly long to be acknowledged for the helpful things you do? Do people who act entitled make you cringe because you're never like that? Do you sometimes feel foolish about the ways in which you've put needs of others before your own? Do you not even bother to ask for help because it's not worth the hassle? And finally, do you hate disappointing people? So like I said, if you feel uncomfortable or find yourself smiling at the number of yeses that you answered, it may be time to create a radical shift in how you care for yourself. And that's what this episode is about. It is about taking better care of yourself. So if you... Come back to the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 28. I have a link for you where you can go and get a free trial to Audible and download the Essentialism book that you're going to be listening to. So in this episode, I've taken a part of Essentialism, which is The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McEwen. And it's a pretty phenomenal chapter all about saying no and how to do that tactfully, how to be respected, and how to get more of what you want and do less of what you don't want in life. So it's a pretty powerful 
chapter. It's an amazing book. And if you want to get a copy of the book and you want to support Addiction Support Podcast and support myself, come back to the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 28. And I have a link there to Audible where you can get a trial for 30 days, get it for free. You can download the book. And then if you go through and you do that, because I'm an affiliate with Audible, they will pay me a little bit um, in exchange for you signing up with them. So that would be a great win-win if you like the book and you want to get that. If not, there's a, there's a ton of other books that you can get if you just want. Um, the other thing that I have here is a course. So I have also teamed up an affiliate with Hay House. And one of their courses that I love is uh, The Art of Extreme Self-Care. So that's with Cheryl Richardson. So if you go sign up through the link in my website, uh, in the website at Addiction Support Podcast. That'll contribute back to addictionsupportpodcast.com as well. So I just want to give you a little bit of information about that course at the end of this podcast. So if you enjoy what you hear on Essentialism, which I know you will, uh, please stay for a few minutes after and I'll go into more detail about what that course is about. And as always, you can come back to the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 28, and you can get the links from there. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy. Have you ever said yes when you meant no simply to avoid conflict or friction? Have you ever felt too scared or timid to turn down an invitation or request from a boss, colleague, friend, neighbor, or family member for fear of disappointing them? If you have, you're not alone. Navigating these moments with courage and grace is one of the most important skills to master in becoming an essentialist, and one of the hardest. I did not set out to write a chapter about courage. But the deeper I've looked at the subject of essentialism, the more clearly I have seen courage as key to the process of elimination. Without courage, the disciplined pursuit of less is just lip service. It is just the stuff of one more dinner party conversation. It is skin deep. Anyone can talk about the importance of focusing on the things that matter most. And many people do. But to see people who dare to live it is rare. I say this without judgment. We have good reasons to fear saying no. We worry we'll miss out on a great opportunity. We're scared of rocking the boat. Stirring things up, burning bridges. We can't bear the thought of disappointing someone we respect and like. None of this makes us a bad person. It's a natural part of being human. Yet as hard as it can be to say no to someone, failing to do so can cause us to miss out on something far more important. A woman named Cynthia once told me a story about the time her father had made plans to take her on a night out in San Francisco. Twelve-year-old Cynthia and her father had been planning the date for months. They had a whole itinerary planned down to the minute. She would attend the last hour of his presentation and then meet him at the back of the room at about 4.30 and leave quickly before everyone tried to talk to him. They would catch a trolley car to Chinatown, eat Chinese food, their favorite, shop for a souvenir, see the sights for a while, and then catch a flick, as her dad liked to say. Then they would grab a taxi back to the hotel, jump in the pool for a quick swim. Her dad was famous for sneaking in when the pool was closed, order a hot fudge sundae from room service, and watch the Late Late Show. They discussed the details over and over before they left. The anticipation was part of the whole experience. This was all going according to plan until, as her father was leaving the convention center, he ran into an old college friend and business associate. It had been years since they had seen each other, and Cynthia watched as they embraced enthusiastically. His friend said, in effect, I am so glad you are doing some work with our company now. When Lois and I heard about it, we thought it would be perfect. We want to invite you and, of course, Cynthia, to get a spectacular seafood dinner down at the wharf. Cynthia's father responded, Bob, it's so great to see you. Dinner at the wharf sounds great. 
Cynthia was crestfallen. Her daydreams of trolley rides and ice cream sundaes evaporated in an instant. Plus, she hated seafood, and she could just imagine how bored she would be listening to the adults talk all night. But then her father continued, but not tonight. Cynthia and I have a special date planned, don't we? He winked at Cynthia and grabbed her hand, and they ran out of the door and continued with what was an unforgettable night in San Francisco. As it happens, Cynthia's father was the management thinker Stephen R. Covey, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, who had passed away only weeks before Cynthia told me this story. So it was with deep emotion she recalled that evening in San Francisco. His simple decision bonded him to me forever because I knew what mattered most to him was me, she said. Stephen R. Covey, one of the most respected and widely read business thinkers of his generation, was an essentialist. Not only did he routinely teach essentialist principles like the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing to important leaders and heads of state around the world, he lived them. And in this moment of living them with his daughter, he made a memory that literally outlasted his lifetime. Seen with some perspective, his decision seems obvious, but many in his shoes would have accepted the friend's invitation for fear of seeming rude or ungrateful, or passing up a rare opportunity to dine with an old friend. So why is it so hard in the moment to dare to choose what is essential over what is non-essential? One simple answer is we are unclear about what is essential. When this happens, we become defenseless. On the other hand, when we have strong internal clarity, it is almost as if we have a force field protecting us from the non-essentials coming at us from all directions. With Rosa, it was her deep moral clarity that gave her unusual courage of conviction. With Stephen, it was the clarity of his vision for the evening with his loving daughter. In virtually every instance, clarity about what is essential fuels us with the strength to say no to the non-essentials. Essentially awkward. A second reason why it is hard to choose what is essential in the moment is as simple as an innate fear of social awkwardness. The fact is, we as humans are wired to want to get along with others. After all, thousands of years ago, when we all lived in tribes of hunter-gatherers, our survival depended on it. And while conforming to what people in a group expect of us, what psychologists call normative conformity, is no longer a matter of life and death, the desire is still deeply ingrained in us. This is why, whether it's an old friend who invites you to dinner, or a boss who asks you to take on an important high-profile project, or a neighbor who begs you to help with the PTA bake sale, the very thought of saying no literally brings us physical discomfort. We feel guilty. We don't want to let someone down. We are worried about damaging the relationship. But these emotions muddle our clarity. They distract us from the reality of the fact that either we can say no and regret it for a few minutes, or we can say yes and regret it for days, weeks, months, or even years. The only way out of this trap is to learn to say no firmly, resolutely, and yet gracefully. Because once we do, we find not only that our fears of disappointing or angering others were exaggerated, but that people actually respect us more. Since becoming an essentialist, I have found it almost universally true that people respect and admire those with the courage of conviction to say no. Peter Drucker, in my view the father of modern management thinking, was also a master of the art of the graceful no. When Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the Hungarian professor most well-known for his work on flow, reached out to interview a series of creative individuals for a book he was writing on creativity, Drucker's response was interesting enough to Mihai that he quoted it verbatim. I am greatly honored and flattered by your kind letter of February 14th, for I have admired you and your work for many years, and I have learned much from it. But my dear Professor Csikszentmihalyi, I am afraid I have to disappoint you. I could not possibly answer your questions. I am told I am creative. I don't know what that means. I just keep on plodding. 
I hope you will not think me presumptuous or rude if I say that one of the secrets of productivity, in which I believe whereas I do not believe in creativity, is to have a very big waste paper basket to take care of all invitations such as yours. Productivity in my experience consists of not doing anything that helps the work of other people, but to spend all one's time on the work the good Lord has fitted one to do, and to do well. A true essentialist, Peter Drucker, believed that people are effective because they say no. Non-essentialists say yes because of feelings of social awkwardness and pressure. They say yes automatically, without thinking, often in pursuit of the rush one gets from having pleased someone. But essentialists know that after the rush comes the pang of regret. They know they will soon feel bullied and resentful, both at the other person and at themselves. Eventually, they will wake up to the unpleasant reality that something more important must now be sacrificed to accommodate this new commitment. Of course, the point is not to say no to all requests. The point is to say no to the non-essentials so we can say yes to the things that really matter. It is to say no, frequently and gracefully, to everything but what is truly vital. A non-essentialist avoids saying no to avoid feeling social awkwardness and pressure. An essentialist dares to say no firmly, resolutely and gracefully. A non-essentialist says yes to everything. An essentialist says yes only to the things that really matter. So how do we learn to say no gracefully? Below are general guidelines followed by a number of specific scripts for delivering the graceful no. Separate the decision from the relationship. When people ask us to do something, we can confuse the request with our relationship with them. Sometimes they seem so interconnected we forget that denying the request is not the same as denying the person. Only once we separate the decision from the relationship can we make a clear decision and then separately find the courage and compassion to communicate it. Saying no gracefully doesn't have to mean using the word no. Essentialists choose no more often than they say no. There may be a time when the most graceful way to say no is to simply say a blunt no. But whether it's, I am flattered that you thought of me, but I'm afraid I don't have the bandwidth, or I would very much like to, but I'm overcommitted, there are a variety of ways of refusing someone clearly and politely without actually using the word no. Later in the chapter, you'll find more examples of ways to gracefully word your no. Focus on the trade-off. The more we think about what we are giving up when we say yes to someone, the easier it is to say no. If we have no clear sense of the opportunity cost, in other words, the value of what we are giving up, then it is especially easy to fall into the non-essential trap of telling ourselves we can get it all done. We can't. A graceful no grows out of a clear but unstated calculation of the trade-off. Remind yourself that everyone is selling something. This doesn't mean you have to be cynical about people. I don't mean to imply people shouldn't be trusted. I'm simply saying everyone is selling something, an idea, a viewpoint, an opinion, in exchange for your time. Simply being aware of what is being sold allows us to be more deliberate in deciding whether we want to buy it. Make your peace with the fact that saying no often requires trading popularity for respect. When you say no, there is usually a short-term impact on the relationship. After all, when someone asks for something and doesn't get it, his or her immediate reaction may be annoyance or disappointment, or even anger. This downside is clear. The potential upside, however, is less obvious. When the initial annoyance or disappointment or anger wears off, the respect kicks in. When we push back effectively, it shows people that our time is highly valuable. It distinguishes the professional from the amateur. A case in point is the time that graphic designer Paul Rand had the guts to say no to Steve Jobs. When Jobs was looking for a logo for the company Next, he asked Rand whose work included the logos for IBM, UPS, Enron, Westinghouse, and ABC to come up with a few options. 
But Rand didn't want to come up with a few options. He wanted to design just one option. So Rand said, no, I will solve your problem for you and you will pay me. And you don't have to use the solution. If you want options, go talk to other people. But I will solve the problem the best way I know how. And you use it or not, that's up to you. Not surprisingly, Rand solved the problem and created the Jewel logo Jobs wanted. But the real lesson here is the effect Rand's pushback had on Jobs, who later said of Rand, he is one of the most professional people I have ever worked with, in the sense that he had thought through all of the formal relationship between a client and a professional such as himself. Rand took a risk when he said no. He bet a short-term popularity loss for a long-term gain in respect, and it paid off. Essentialists accept they cannot be popular with everyone all of the time. Yes, saying no respectfully, reasonably, and gracefully can come at a short-term social cost. But part of living the way of the essentialist is realizing respect is far more valuable than popularity in the long run. Remember that a clear no can be more graceful than a vague or non-committal yes. As anyone who has ever been on the receiving end of this situation knows, a clear, I am going to pass on this, is far better than not getting back to someone or stringing them along with some non-committal answer like, I will try to make this work, or I might be able to, when you know you can't. Being vague is not the same as being graceful, and delaying the eventual no will only make it that much harder, and the recipient that much more resentful. The no repertoire. Remember, essentialists don't say no just occasionally. It is a part of their regular repertoire. To consistently say no with grace, then, it helps to have a variety of responses to call upon. Following our eight responses, you can put in your no repertoire. 1. The awkward pause. Instead of being controlled by the threat of an awkward silence, own it. Use it as a tool. When a request comes to you, obviously this works only in person, just pause for a moment. Count to three before delivering your verdict. Or, if you get a bit more bold, simply wait for the other person to fill the void. 2. The soft no, or the no but. I recently received an email inviting me to coffee. I replied, I am consumed with writing my book right now, smiley face. But I would love to get together once the book is finished. Let me know if we can get together towards the end of the summer. Email is also a good way to start practicing saying no but, because it gives you the chance to draft and redraft your no to make it as graceful as possible. Plus, many people find that the distance of email reduces the fear of awkwardness. 3. Let me check my calendar and get back to you. One leader I know found her time being hijacked by other people all day. A classic non-essentialist, she was capable and smart and unable to say no. And as a result, she soon became a go-to person. People would run up to her and say, could you help with X project? Meaning to be a good citizen, she said yes. But soon she felt burdened with all of these different agendas. Things changed for her when she learned to use a new phrase. Let me check my calendar and get back to you. It gave her the time to pause and reflect and ultimately reply that she was regretfully unavailable. It enabled her to take back control of her own decisions rather than be rushed into a yes when she was asked. 4. Use email bounce backs. It is totally natural and expected to get an auto-response when someone is traveling or out of the office. Really, this is the most socially acceptable no there is. People aren't saying they don't want to reply to your email. They're just saying they can't get back to you for a period of time. So why limit these to vacations and holidays? When I was writing this book, I set an email bounce back with the subject line in monk mode. The email said, Dear friends, I am currently working on a new book which has put enormous burdens on my time. Unfortunately, I am unable to respond in the manner I would like. For this, I apologize, Greg. And guess what? People seem to adapt to my temporary absence and non-responsiveness just fine. 5. 
say yes. What should I deprioritize? Saying no to a senior leader at work is almost unthinkable, even laughable for many people. However, when saying yes is going to compromise your ability to make the highest level of contribution to your work, it is also your obligation. In this case, it is not only reasonable to say no, it is essential. One effective way to do that is to remind your superiors what you would be neglecting if you said yes and force them to grapple with the trade-off. For example, if your manager comes to you and asks you to do X, you can respond with, yes, I'm happy to make this the priority. Which of these other projects should I deprioritize to pay attention to this new project? Or simply say, I would want to do a great job. And given my other commitments, I wouldn't be able to do a job I was proud of if I took this on. I know a leader who received this response from a subordinate. There was no way he wanted to be responsible for disrupting this productive and organized employee. So he took the non-essential work project back and gave it to someone else who was less organized. Six, say it with humor. I recently was asked by a friend to join him in training for a marathon. My response was simple. Nope. He laughed a little and said, ah, you practice what you preach. Just goes to show how useful it is to have a reputation as an essentialist. Seven, use the words, you are welcome to X, I am willing to Y. For example, you are welcome to borrow my car, I am willing to make sure the keys are here for you. By this, you are also saying, I won't be able to drive you. You are saying what you will not do, but you are couching it in terms of what you are willing to do. This is a particularly good way to navigate a request you would like to support somewhat, but cannot throw your full weight behind. I particularly like this construct because it also expresses a respect for the other person's ability to choose, as well as your own. It reminds both parties of the choices they have. 8. I can't do it, but X might be interested. It is tempting to think that our help is uniquely invaluable, but often people requesting something don't really care if we're the ones who help them, as long as they get the help. Kay Krill, the CEO of Ann Inc., a.k.a. Ann Taylor, and Loft Women's Clothing Retailers, used to have a terrible time saying no to social invitations. As a result, she would end up at networking events she had no interest in attending. She would find herself going to office parties and regretting it the moment she got there. Then one day, one of her mentors came to her and told her that she had to learn to jettison the people and things of her life that just didn't matter, and that doing so would allow her to put 100% of her energy into the things that had meaning for her. That advice liberated her. Now she is able to pick and choose. With practice, politely declining an invitation has become easy for her. Kay explains, I say no very easily because I know what is important to me. I only wish that I learned how to do that earlier in my life. Saying no is its own leadership capability. It is not just a peripheral skill. As with any ability, we start with limited experience. We are novices at no. Then we learn a couple of basic techniques. We make mistakes. We learn from them. We develop more skills. We keep practicing. After a while, we have a whole repertoire available at our disposal, and in time, we have gained mastery of a type of social art form. We can handle almost any request from almost anybody with grace and dignity. Tom Friel, the former CEO of Hydrogen Struggles, once said to me, we need to learn the slow yes and the quick no. All right, welcome back. So I told you guys I would give you some information about the lessons in that e-course, The Art of Extreme Self-Care, which I just, I love that title. So in this, there are 12 lessons. Lesson number one is titled, End the Legacy of Deprivation. And in there, you'll identify what you need more of in your life and do what it takes to get it. Lesson two is Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. 
And in there, you'll use a simple yet powerful daily exercise to dramatically improve your relationship with yourself. Lesson number three is let me disappoint you. And that one I think is going to go along really well with what you just listened to. You'll start to live a soul-directed life by mastering the art of disappointing people with grace and love. Lesson number four is the power of rhythm and routine. Discover what happens to the quality of your life when you put a life-altering routine in place. Lesson number five, take your hands off the wheel. Let go of control by resigning as general manager of the universe and learn how to ask others to take the wheel for a while. Lesson number six, the absolute no list. I love this. Start saying no to those things that drive you crazy, zap your energy, or leave you feeling frustrated and resentful. That one's probably worth the course all of itself just for that, that one lesson. Lesson number seven, soul-loving space. Discover the transformative power of clearing space and enhancing the beauty of your home or office. Lesson number eight, you're so sensitive. Learn to honor and protect your sensitivity rather than loathe it by setting non-negotiable boundaries. Lesson number nine is tune-up time. Find out what you need to know to take charge of your personal health. Lesson number 10, does that anger taste good? Learn to step in and take a stand for yourself in the face of inappropriate behavior. Lesson number 11, wake up. Enjoy the pleasure of discovering what brings you passion by using a special investigative tool. Lesson number 12 is your extreme self-care first aid kit. By the end of this, you will know exactly what you need to have in place to take extremely good care of yourself when faced with a crisis or major life challenge. So a little bit more on the instructor of this course. It is Cheryl Richardson. Cheryl Richardson is the author of the New York Times bestselling books, Take Time for Your Life, Life Makeovers, Stand Up for Your Life, The Unmistakable Touch of Grace, and The Art of Extreme Self-Care. She was the first president of the International Coach Federation and holds one of their first master certified coach credentials. Cheryl is also the recipient of the 2000 Motivational Book Award for Life Makeovers from Books for a Better Life, which honors the year's most outstanding books and magazines in the self-improvement genre. Her book, The Unmistakable Touch of Grace, was chosen as a finalist in 2005 Spiritual Inspiration category for Books for a Better Life. You can listen to Cheryl every week on hayhouseradio.com and I also have her website, which is CherylRichardson.com. So what I wanted to tell you guys all that for is I have teamed up with Hay House and her course is through Hay House. And so I'm an affiliate of theirs. I'm going to link this to the show notes on addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 28. And if this sounds like a course that would benefit you, then come back to the podcast, the website, and buy that course through my link, and that will help support the podcast and cover some of the overhead. I do make a little bit of money on that. I want to let you guys know that, but it does not cost you any more if you buy it through me or if you buy it through another source. So I, with that, I love you. Oh, I do want to give you one disclaimer. 
the reason why I'm going so deep in this is because these are things that I've struggled with and I've, I've gotten a lot better. If you would have had me take that quiz at the beginning five years ago, I would have said yes to every single one of them. Um, today I have a different relationship with most of them. Most of the time it still comes back on occasion, but I'm able to have that awareness to look at that and say, you know, okay, I know what I'm doing and I don't want to go down that path. So the reason I'm bringing it to you is because the work that I've done on myself around these areas has been so impactful and so life-changing that I want to share that with you. Until next week, I love you. I see you surrounded with light and love, and I just hope that you have a really amazing week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com Thank you.